This is Joshua Bell with The Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from April 3rd, 2022. I hope you enjoy. God bless. Okay, here we go. I have to do this over, so here it comes. The scripture reading this morning will be taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 101 in the New Testament section of your Bible. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There gave a dinner for him, there they gave a dinner for him that Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to seal that what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. This is a fascinating passage of scripture, and it's a little bit different than the other gospels account of how this happens. It's interesting to me, from looking at it from an academic perspective, that in the process of this passage, we've got uh, little side notes in, in the scripture, like uh, she used the stuff that was hers. Uh, Judas, notice how it automatically says, Judas, um, who was a thief, according to the Gospel of John, and uh, would steal from his common purse, uh, which is why he was upset. Uh, interesting way of looking at that. The other Gospels do not agree with this at all. Um, and, and it's just an interesting way of looking at this. Now, the part that is fascinating to me is there's two responses that we have to highlight as we read this, but we cannot neglect the fact that you've got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in the story again. Now remember, Mary and Martha's original conversation that we have with them is Martha is sitting there, she's cooking in the kitchen, remember? And, and she's doing all the work while Mary is sitting at her feet, doing nothing but listening to every single word that's coming out of Jesus' mouth. And then there's Lazarus, you know, Jesus' best friend, who he's raised from the dead in this part of the Gospel of John. And they just so happen to say, oh, and by the way, now that he's raised from the dead, they're sitting here talking. Like that's just fine. The guy that was dead a couple days ago is sitting there with them. And again, Mary does the right thing. She washes Jesus' feet, not just a little bit, but she anoints them 
with the stuff that they would use for funerals. It's as if she gets it. Again. And now it's not Martha and Martha that's complaining. It's his own disciples that are complaining. So here you have this Jesus' final response where Mary is the model of faithful discipleship and Judas, his own follower, is that of an unfaithful discipleship. It's fascinating to me on that perspective. And it's also important for us to recognize the impetus of Judas's anger. I mean, he's got a good question. It's a good question. Everything that we know of in the early church was this communal, as far as we can tell. That in that moment, uh, everything that they did was uh, work together as a community. Remember, they're all starving. They're, they're all trying to feed one another. This is, this is a big deal. It's a good question to ask. Why did you use this expensive perfume when we could have sold it? Just think of how many people we could have fed. Now, he's doing it for the wrong reasons. But it's a good question. Many a church have had the battle of what was important for the church and argued, should we spend the money for it? And then didn't, or did. Let's use an example that's completely detached from everything in the United States. Look at cathedrals in Europe. At the very beginning of their creation, right, the church said, all of you need to give money to this so that we can build these beautiful houses for God. And they imported Italian marble, and they had Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo and Rodin and all of the big name sculptors and painters paint these beautiful pictures in these cathedrals and these works of art, these monoliths of God's Christianity are now empty and dormant on Sunday mornings. I mean, there's still a church, but they're really open more for the tourists than they are for the people. It's a good question to ask. But there's also answers that make sense. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we were in a, in a moment where the church was trying to figure out how we were supposed to meet with people when they weren't physically going to be here. We had just happened to have upgraded our physical system at the church before all of the things took place in 2020. The idea was is to stream. Now, you'll all think this is funny, but it wasn't funny. We wanted to be serious for those that weren't able to be here physically on Sunday morning, that they could watch and participate with us, whether they were shut in or they were on vacation. We just wanted to find a way to still be able to be connected because, let's face it, our congregation loves each other and we love being a part of each other. And we don't like being separated from each other for very long. Then the pandemic happened, and no, nobody remembered how that was supposed to happen. And then churches that had very little money, that had very little in anything set aside, had to spend thousands of dollars to get it so that they could connect with their congregations. 
you remember that? Think of the arguments. We, we didn't have the arguments. We were already moving in that direction. But think of the arguments that churches would have in that moment. What do we do? They're not here. They're not here physically. Are we really a church? That was the question I heard a lot. Can we really be church and not physically be here? There's an there's a interesting conversation about this. When we think about the use of money for new ministry projects that are deemed as important and then deemed that are uh, less of a bang for the buck for other projects. For us, for almost every church in the United States, we figured out that during the pandemic, this was important to find ways of connecting with our people, even if it was through their television screens. Now, my favorite part about this, which I'm being very sarcastic about it, is, is that in that process, we recognize that millions of people are merely just backseat Christians. You know what I'm talking about, right? These are the, what you should have done was. Listen, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me what we should have been doing on Sunday morning during the pandemic or anything to that nature, Brother Bell's Barbecue Restaurant and Emporium would have been opened. It would have been amazing. There's so many people that in the midst of this, and this was the fear for us, but it didn't happen. But for so many other churches, there were so many people that were just willing to be the observers of a performance, a performance which the professionals put on. They were ready to criticize or applaud, but not even willing to consider the possibility of real participation. In that moment for us, we might have been disconnected physically, but we were not disconnected spiritually. We made phone calls to each other. We checked in on one another. And it's so amazing to me how many of these backseat Christians can critique what it is that we do. We weren't designed to be just on television. Our church was designed to be in community, to be there for one another, regardless of the circumstances. To laugh with people when good days happen, to cry when bad things happen, even if it's on the phone. You see, it's, it's hard. Now, does it mean that we stop doing this? Absolutely not. I mean, it's not like our numbers are in the thousands but we do have a very strong 25 to 30 people that watch our Facebook feed every week. We have a very strong 10 to 15 people that watch our YouTube feed every Sunday. And in those moments, those people call us and ask for prayer concerns just like each and every one of you do. Because for us, it's about the community. We looked past the expense of the perfume when we came into it, we did it in the sense of with a divine nature like Mary anointing Jesus' feet. 
We did it because we had to. We needed to. We desired to make community available for all and to be with all. You know, one of the parts that's hard for us is that uninhibited worship is something that we struggle with. One of us yearned for the boldness in those moments to become such a free spirit in our worship of God during Sunday morning services that we would ask questions like, when was the last time we did something completely spontaneous and uninhibited during worship? I think that in our moments, our worship experience, we need to follow Mary's lead. She didn't look at it as it costing her anything, but it cost her everything. There was no question as to what she was doing. She was doing this from the bottom of her heart. And she knew that in that moment, she was there to to highlight Jesus' physical life amongst us because Jesus had already told them that he was going to die. And she heard it. She took every fiber of her being and without even asking anyone, went and immediately did these things. Now in the Gospels, the other Gospels, they talk about it in such a way that another Mary washes his feet with her tears and dries his feet with her hair. Think about that level of commitment. Think about that level of experience. What would it be like if when people walked in the doors or even turned on the screens and they were just engulfed with this fragrance of perfume and no, we're not putting incense in the worship service and going to blow out lilac smells all over the place. I am an asthmatic. I don't really want to be wheezing up here. But in that moment, think about what it would be like to be in the presence of God so much that you were engulfed with the smells and the feels of God's presence. And nothing you seemed to do made sense except for to get down on your hands and knees and wash the feet of your neighbor. Uninhibited worship. It might be a pastor's prayer that just something that we ask God do something for us today that isn't in the bulletin. Give us that moment when we feel so moved and motivated that just our very presence goes into the world and they feel and see the presence of Christ so much so in our daily lives that they can't do anything except for praise God for that moment. And then we bring them back. And we try again, recognizing that we're going to fall and we're going to make mistakes. Mary's actions model the life of love that should characterize Jesus' followers. 
so that all voices everywhere can say with one voice, Oh, how I love Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.